Diane's going to help me with this exercise here. Thank you, Diane. Uh, we are going to, so this is interactive, so you don't get to talk. Um, I was going to try, try to either pass out chewing gum or make you do some work to keep you awake here. Um, in this case, uh, we're going to ask the question, what is the church? What is the church? And then Diane's going to write down some of these thoughts on the board for us for you to see. And uh, so just go ahead and answer. What's the church? The people. Yeah, Hands and feet of the gospel. Bride of Christ. Heard one over here, too. God's word. You'll have to speak up because you can hear me better than I can hear you. Anybody else? Yeah, go ahead. Yes, those who have been reconciled to God through the blood of Christ. Or you could just write the reconciled <laughs> for sake of expediency. Um, anyone else? Seekers. Seekers of God. Seekers of Christ. Yeah. Anybody else? The body of Christ? Do we get or the bride of Christ? The bride of Christ. The body and the bride. Have we exhausted everything here? Family. Family. Hope. Yeah. It is hope. Fellowship, yeah. Love, yeah, the church is love. Let's take, how many more can we fit on that board? Two more, three more? Okay, somebody, give me one more. What's that? Mission, mission station, good. Yeah, church is a mission station. Uh, one more time? An army, yes, it is the army of God. And a safe place, yeah. The safest place is in Christ. Okay, I think we've got Diane maybe maxed out here. Thank you so much for uh, putting all those down and love all the colors there. <laughs> well, who said the church is family? Anybody? What I do here? Oh, there's a lid. All right, Diane, you left a lid. We're going to fire you. <laughs> Who said the church is family? Okay, the church is family. You know, um, that is, uh, all these are really good. Thank you so much for these different thoughts. Um, but um, for our purposes this morning, in 1 Timothy 3.15, uh, Paul spoke of the church's family. He said, we are God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church is a family, and not just any family, it is the family of God. It's God's household. We belong to the living God. And did Jesus agree? Well, his family, Jesus' immediate family, was waiting to see him, and, uh, and someone came up and told Jesus, your family is here to see you. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 12, 48? Who is my mother and who are my brothers? 
Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. So the church is a family. We are part of that family when we do the will of God, and Christ is the head of that family. Now this morning, we're continuing our series of Christian leadership, and what we have in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the passage that we have today, the context of that is the church as family. Uh, We're going to be talking about different relationships um, within the church family. And as a reminder, Timothy, uh, this young man Timothy, is in Ephesus, uh, and that local church is an absolute mess. I won't ask for a show of hands if you've ever been part of a local church that's an absolute mess, but it's not fun. And there are difficulties along the way, and this is the context that Timothy finds himself in. And so Paul's been giving all sorts of instruction to Timothy, but now he tells Timothy how to relate to, and I'll say, the family of God first, widows, leaders, and then how to handle self-leadership. So those are four categories we'll be going through this morning. And so what we need to do is we think of, of the family of God. So this is, this is that first, um, the first couple um, verses here where, where uh, Paul tells Timothy 5.1, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now, so Timothy's in the mess. Wolves have entered the Ephesian church, and uh, he has to relate to different people, different ages, different genders, within the context of the local church, and what should these relationships look like? How should Timothy relate to, we'll start with, with an older person. How is he going to relate to older men? And, uh, and I, I think I know how Timothy feels in this situation, because when I was younger, uh, I looked, always looked younger than I was. And so when I was in my 20s, people thought I was in my teens. When I was in my 30s, people thought I was in my 20s. And you might think this is a good thing, but in the, as a context, as a, as a young leader, it's actually a really hard thing. It's a hard thing to get people to take you seriously when you look really young. In fact, uh, if you've ever heard the story when Ash and I got together, she actually carded me to make sure I was old enough to date her. So, so this is Timothy. He's a... Timothy is, is a young man. He probably looks even younger, or maybe he acts younger than he is. And Paul told him, and if in the last chapter, he said, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Make them respect you. Doesn't matter that you're young. And uh, so one time when, when I, I walked into a place that I had been hired, and uh, it was a place where they knew my dad. My dad's name was Bruce. And uh, the woman, when I came in, she said, oh, look, it's a young Bruce. And I said, nope, it's a big cabot, you know. And, uh, and so we need to stand up for ourselves and make people respect us. But how are we going to do that? Because there may be a, a, a feeling of, well, I've got a chip on my shoulder because um, other people are not respecting me. And so what Paul tells them is not only, Timothy, do you need to make sure they respect you, you need to respect them. Treat an older man as a father. Treat him respectfully. Now think about the context of Ephesus where Timothy uh, is working. 
the, the, some of the older men here are actually probably teaching or believing false doctrine. And so Timothy has to speak to them and talk to them about this issue, but he should do so respectfully as if he was talking to his own dad, saying, you know, I, I know, you know, I love you and, uh, and, I, and I respect you, but, um, but in this particular instance, um, you're not believing the truth. And, and speak to them in, in that sort of way. The same thing for, uh, for older women. He is to treat them as mothers, respectfully, kindly, lovingly handling those situations. Now, when we come to brothers, that's sort of a different thing. Anybody have brothers here? You know, what do you do with brothers? You, uh, you know, you, you uh, love on them, you fight with them, you, you know, I don't know if, what I, if we started telling stories about what brothers do, we probably get some interesting things here. I know when I was teaching Sunday school when I was younger, uh, one uh, of the children said, yeah, his brothers took him and hung him by a shirt on a bedpost somewhere. And uh, so we know those sorts of things happen. But the one thing about brothers we know is that they're blood. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your brothers. And that's the sort of, way, the sort of relationship we need to have with our brothers in Christ. We have a blood commitment to our brothers in Christ. And how should we handle our sisters? And this is the one, um, the one relationship where Paul has a little add-on. He says, yeah, younger women treat them as sisters with all purity. Uh, Timothy, in case you're wondering, these younger women, you should treat them as your actual sister. Your actual sister, you wouldn't think bad things about. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go where you shouldn't mentally. You wouldn't go where you shouldn't go physically. Treat them as your sister with all purity. So these are relationships that are supposed to take place within the context of the household of God. And when we look at them, what do we see? We see love. We see respect. We see blood earnest commitment. We see purity, and those are the relationships that, brothers and sisters, we're supposed to have with each other. Those are the types of relationships that our leaders should have with us. So we've got the, the, the family context here, and then all of a sudden, we get to widows. And this is by far the longest part of this section. And, and some of us might be thinking, well, what's the deal with widows? Why, why are we spending so much time on widows? And contextually, so not only is it the largest section of this, of, this, uh, of this chapter, but it's also the most culturally distant from us. We don't understand it very well because we don't have the same issues that they had in their day. It's not that we don't have widows, and it's not that we don't have widows in need, but um, uh, many years ago when I visited Africa, there were some widows there. And I was surprised to find that they actually had a list of women who were on the list of widows that were cared for by the church. And then I was, it was explained to me that, yes, what happens here is if a woman, in fact, uh, I think we can go to that next slide there. Um, so if, if one of these women were to lose her husband, um, some of her own family or his family may take away the, the things that she has. She may be left destitute at the end of this marriage when her husband dies. And so her prospects at that time are somehow to work or prostitution or whatever she can do to eat and take care of herself. Uh, maybe she can remarry. But, it, but it's pretty bleak. It's very grim. And, uh, and so when I, when I found that out, I go, oh my gosh, this is, this is so different. 
from what we have today. And if we have older widows today, what do we have? We have um, women that usually have some sort of resources. Now, there are exceptions, of course, but not to the, to the number or the degree that things were happening in the Old Testament times and, or in Jesus' time. And so when we, when we look at this, we go, okay, that makes sense. Uh, so there's this long section of widows because there are a lot of widows, and there's long section of widows because there's great need of the widows. And so um, what I think we need to do here is we need to say, yes, we want to care for the widows at LifeSpring. There are widows here. We want to love on them. We want to do everything that we should do. But we also want to expand this section to say, what does this principle speak to us in every category of those in need? And so let's, let's go through it. Um, The first part says, give proper recognition to widows who are really in need. And, uh, and so that they should have actual real need. It should be, and when it says give proper recognition, it's probably talking about um, financial support or physical support. Um, and then, so there's real need, and then it says, uh, but you need to be thinking about uh, family first. So in, uh, in um, 1 Timothy 5.4, it says, But if a, woman, a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. And I'm going to skip to verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. Talk about a punch in the stomach. So essentially, if you don't care for your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever, says Paul. And some of us think, we start scratching our head and start thinking back, how are we treating our own family? Are there people in need in our family that we should be caring for more than we are? Um, how, do we, how do we think about these things? Um, from the church's perspective and from Timothy's perspective, uh, he is encouraged to say, well, first of all, we're going to uh, put the onus on the family and encourage the family to care for their relatives. And those widows who don't have that, that in place, we're going to care for through the church. But uh, first of all, there needs to be real need. Second, it's family should take care. And then third, um, I, I put down uh, widows who pray, not party. Um, Verse 5, it says, uh, The widow who's really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. So it's, it's, a, it's a prayerful, it's a, it's a widow that is seeking God. Um, they should be older saints, faithful to their husband, known for good need, deeds. So they should be serving. And... Um, so we have four major categories. They have to have real need. Their family should help them first. They should be seeking God. And then they should be um, older saints, or we'll put this in the category of, of, of the vulnerable. So they don't necessarily have to be older people to, be, to need church assistance, but in the category of those really in need. And then um, the fifth category, uh, Paul goes on about the younger widows and the havoc they are causing in the Ephesian church. And what are they doing? Well, apparently they've been widowed, but they're, um, and they're, they're having their financial care is provided for. And so they're going from house to house talking about who's doing what with so-and-so and who, and they're gossiping. They're going around gossiping. He calls them busybodies or talking about nonsense or gossiping and, and, and this sort of thing. And Paul said, this is, 
ludicrous. These women need to get remarried or they need to get a job. They need to do something. God has given us work for a good reason, but they shouldn't be just cared for by the church in order for them to have time to gossip. And uh, so, um, th so the last category is when helping hurts. Sometimes when we help other people, it doesn't actually help them, and we need, need to know the difference. So these are great questions, and I think that we should ask them of, of, of a given situation, when, when someone comes to the church or uh, when someone comes to you. Um, is there a real need? Is the family helping? And if, if not, why not? Um, is the person seeking God? Are they an older saint or in the category of the vulnerable? And if I help them, will it hurt them or harm them or cause them to stumble? So, um, so that's Paul's section on widows. Um, now we hop on to leaders. So we've talked about uh, relationships as a family. We've talked about relationships really in the category of the vulnerable. And now we're talking about leaders in the Ephesian church. And Paul tells Timothy, um, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. By double honor, he also probably means caring for their physical needs. Th those who are putting their time into the church um, should be cared for by the church, should be cared for for those under their care. And, and uh, Paul says, absolutely, this is true. You should compensate them, you should care for them, you should do things for them because they're doing something for you. And, uh, and then Paul, so if you know Paul's story, uh, he went on to, to uh, did Paul always take compensation personally? You can answer me on this. No, he didn't. Paul was bivocational. Paul did whatever it took, and if he thought the church might think he was in it for the money, he would not take the money. So Paul himself didn't go with this, but he said, these people deserve this. Whether, you know, whether I take it or not, that's my business, but these people deserve this. You should care for them. And then uh, he gives two examples. One is from Moses, uh, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out grain, and that's the, the concept of you know, that the ox is working, so it needs to be fed. And then the other one is from Jesus. The worker deserves his wages. So Jesus said we need to compensate the worker. So we need to honor governing elders. We need to respect them. We need to compensate them um, or, or care for their needs. It may not be a straight compensation, but if they have a need, we should try to help meet it. Um, and then uh, number two is don't entertain accusations against elders lightly. Um, so don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. And I might say, you know, if someone is leading in the capacity of the church, we all know people who have abused their position of leadership. And they, they say, you should listen to me because I'm the leader. And that's how it is, you know, kind of thing. And that's wrong. But also, um, if someone is leading and we know they're genuinely doing their best, they're trying to do the best they can for the church, we need to be careful about how we talk about them. We shouldn't be gossiping about uh, a leader in that position. We shouldn't be speaking badly about them. And we, and we shouldn't even entertain something more serious that's upon their character unless we know it actually happened. What should we do if we know that an elder is in habitual, unrepentant sin? What should we do if a pastor is in habitual, unrepentant sin? How should we handle that? And, uh, and the answer is, uh, that person is a public person, and that person should be rebuked publicly. 
So if, if there's a public sin that took place, it needs to be addressed in the same way, in the same manner that it was handled in the context of that congregation. So, wow, that's a big weight. That's a big weight on someone's shoulder. You know, if you fall, you fall hard. And if you lead, you should lead with honor. Um, and if you lead, people should respect you. Now, we get into this area of self-leadership. And, uh, and self-leadership is something we all would like to do well, right? Uh, so um, we're going to remind ourselves of Paul's words to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 16, because I think it's a nice launching pad for his next words here at the end of chapter 5. Watch your life and doctrine closely, Paul says to Timothy. Watch what you do, how you live, and what you believe very carefully. Persevere in them. Hang in there. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. If you're looking for a short verse to memorize, that's a great one. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy, there is no greater gift that you can give to those under your care than your own personal holiness. Your own personal holiness and what you think and how you act is the best gift that you can give. And... You need to persevere in the truth, even in a culture that is against it. So we're going to go through just the the last part of chapter 5. I know we're moving fairly quickly through here, but um, in uh, 521, Paul tells Timothy, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, keep these instructions without partiality. Do nothing out of favoritism. So be just not just to those you like, but to everyone. Act with partiality. Choose to care for everyone, regardless of your personal chemistry with them as a leader. Um, Be slow to ordain. Don't be hasty on the laying on of hands. Find the leaders that really should be leading and be slow to add them to your number. Number three, don't join in the fun if the fun is foul. You know, um, he says, do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Sometimes we get invited to things that, um, that are compromising. Uh, it might be a party. It might be any number of situations, and we feel compromised. And how should we handle that situation? Should we go or should we not go? And I think that the question in our mind before we decide that should be, can I go as a Christian or will I go as a pagan? Will I go as a Christian and leave as a pagan? Um, Don't join in the fun if the fun is foul. But if you can go into a given situation, Jesus certainly did, and act as a Christian and be a light, then do so but you know the strength of your character and what's happened in the past in those situations and, uh, and make a wise and informed decision. Um, number four, take care of your body. Stop drinking only water. Use a little wine. Some of you like this. Um, because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses, this is a, a medicinal prescription, not a, 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 a uh, admonishment to party. But, uh, but it, <laughs> so at any rate, um, yes, you should take, you, you have a body that God's given you. And you should take care of that thing. You need it. Uh, So don't just um, beat yourself up. Some of you don't get enough sleep. Some of you don't take care of your body in in various different ways. Take care of your body. You need that thing. 
In order to minister well, you have to take care of your body. Um, number five, trust in God's justice and vision for the church. He says, uh, Paul says to Timothy in verse 24, the sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. And as we brainstorm God's big vision for the church, or what the church is at the very beginning here, we have these wonderful descriptions of the church. The church is family. Uh, the church is hope. It's a safe place. It's a mission statement. It's God's army. It's the body and bride of Christ. Different verses there. A uh, seeker of Christ. People reconciled. God's word. Hands and feet. I mean, these are, these are big and lofty and delightful things and all true. But what about churches where pastors have fallen? And what about churches that have injured us for various reasons, brothers and sisters who claim to be Christians but don't act like them? And what about the stuff we read in the news? And what about, and we can have all the whatabouts that take place here. What about what's happened here now versus that vision of what the church should be? What about those things? This is the family of God, and yet we're acting like we're not very much like a family, or a pretty darn dysfunctional one at least. And, uh, and I'd like us to expand our vision. First of all, Timothy, before you lead anyone else, you must lead yourself in Christ as an example of love, what you believe, and hang in there. And in this last section that Paul had, had mentioned to Timothy about um, trusting God's vision for the church, um, we, we see the, a little bit of the already but not yet here. And Paul's saying, you know, all those things are true. They're true of the church. They're true outside the church. It's true that in history, terrible things have happened inside, outside the church. It's true in our personal histories. Things have happened that, that, are, that are not right. And sometimes those things have been done by Christians. But know this, God's vision for the church and what it will be is far greater than anything you can imagine what it will be, what God's plan for us. And remember, the church is us. His plan for us is that we will be holy and spotless and blameless. Sometimes, perhaps often, our vision for the church is too small. We think of the church as a building or a gathering of believers on Sunday or an organization. We think of the church's activities as singing and praying and listening to sermons. But the church is far more than that. Uh, we are the church. Christ has called us to grow in holiness. The church must one day be completely holy. As people who belong to Christ's church, we will one day judge angels. 1 Corinthians 6.3 We will live in a city of God, in the presence of God, who will be our light. Revelations 21 Our bodies will not wear out. We will not sin. God will wipe the tear from every weeping eye. Christ has a future for you and I that's brighter than we could ever imagine. And that is the vision, God's big vision of the church. But we don't, uh, as Augustine said, there's the city of God and the city of man. We don't fully live in the city of God yet. We live in the city of man as ambassadors of the city of God. Christ has come, but the wedding with the church has not yet been uh, consummated. Church is not yet what it will be. We live in the already but not yet, what theologians call inaugurated eschatology. 
We have yet to fully experience our own personal sanctification. Not only have we been hurt by others, but we've hurt others. Um, I believe LifeSpring is a loving place. I believe that the relationships I've seen between people, men and women and, and children and, and mothers and fathers and, and leaders and, and all sorts of people. I've seen so many things and heard so many stories I'm delighted in. I know that God is delighted in you and those good and godly things. And I know that there is a lack of holiness. Or as uh, somebody once said, there's a hole in our holiness, that we need to be more than we are. And what I would say with all this in all these relationships, everything is as... as um, as we're provoking this idea of relationships in the family of God, uh, relationships with widows, with leaders, with personal care and everything, what we see is we see we're not quite there yet. There's a gap between who we are and what we should be. And as C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote in one of his, uh, I think in one of his Narnia novels, they got to the edge of heaven. They got to the, the beginning uh, where you could see where the, what we called the upper land was, but not there yet. And, uh, and the Christ-like representative said, further up and further in. And I believe that's God's call for us today and our relationships with one another and our vision for what the church is as compared to what the church will be, that we would take those words to heart, further up and further in. And perhaps we haven't had a relationship with Christ before, that we're unreconciled to God because God is the only way to be, or Christ is the only way to be reconciled with God the Father. Christ died for us so we can be reconciled. Perhaps that further up, further in for you is to give your life fully over to Christ or to rededicate your life to Christ. Sometimes we're confused about these things. But, uh, but I want us to take that time, and we have the perfect opportunity in just a moment. We're going to receive the Lord's Supper but what does it mean to me, God, to go further up and further in? Please bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your words in Scripture. Thank you for Paul's ending admonishment in chapter 5 that, um, yeah, you may not see these things working out the way they should, Timothy, but they will. That God's plan at the end of the time as we understand it is big, and everything will be holy and set apart for the Lord. Father, as we are on this path, pray that we would go further up and further in, that we would seek after Christ, that we would care for others as the family of God, that we would care for those in need, that we would care for our leaders, and that we would lead ourselves well. Whatever is missing, Lord, I pray uh, that you supply that lack. Help us to trust you in the name of Jesus. Amen.